Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs look back on two satisfying, though unremunerative, years of podcasting. We report on a man's attempt to give away money that turned into an unexpected fundraiser. We learn that tests show monkeys prefer traffic noise. We look beyond Earth for possible Earth-like destinations. We review some new terms created by the pandemic. We offer words of praise for Dr. Anthony Fauci. And we present another example of why aging is awesome. The Old Dog's conversation is with Herb Kupchik, a man of great medical accomplishment who discovered a new passion in retirement, the sport of curling. Stay with us. Well, Paul, what's on your mind today? Well, I finally have something on my mind, Jim. Thank goodness. This is our 50th episode. Congratulations. And you too. I think Thank we you. should uh, pat each other on the back if it wouldn't throw out a limb or something. Well, the fact that we're six feet apart will also present a hazard. That's right. Socially distant. You know, Jim, one way we're commemorating our 50th episode is a brand new design for our website. That's right. We want to encourage people to come by because we've got some favorite websites that you might be interested in. All that and more at olddogspodcast.com. So anyway, this is a good time to kind of reinforce to our listeners what we have been trying to do. Uh, well, yeah, trying and I hope succeeding, and, and that is that we have been trying to really provide a perspective on aging that is more positive, more encouraging, more life-fulfilling. In the first half of our podcast, our pod nuggets, we're looking for things that might be interesting or entertaining for our listeners. And of course, our last segment has always been our favorite. Yeah, talking to people who really have a perspective that is fascinating to listen to. These are people that we have either known from our experience, or perhaps we found them in the newspapers, or they've been recommended by other people, mm -hmm. and they are leading productive, engaging lives at an advanced age. You know, one of the things that impresses me the most, Paul, is how their life continues to unfold as they age. Right. I mean, we've talked to people in their 80s who are still exploring life's adventure. Right, and and oftentimes this has involved a radical change yeah. in their interests uh, as they have, let's say, retired from a more traditional job and either pursued a hobby or something that they've always wanted to do. Yeah, and I've been so impressed with how excited they are, how enthusiastic they are. These are people that, you know, you might want to say – Wow, it's uh, it's getting late, you know, maybe I don't need to do anything, but they just are energized by what they're doing. And, you know, we always include at the end of each interview, uh, people's prescription for how to have a fulfilling life. Uh, someday, Paul, I intend to uh, at least try some of those prescriptions. <laughs> yes, really. <laughs> yeah, get out of this podcasting <laughs> business and start doing something that benefits something people. Something relevant. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at any rate, uh, we, we hope that uh, you're going to let us know what your feelings are 
um, and uh, any particular kinds of things you would like us to include in our podcast in the future. Please do. Yeah, we rely on you or your feedback for uh, guiding us because we are pretty much aimless, <laughs> Jim and I. <laughs> rudderless. There you go, rudderless <laughs> in a storm. <laughs> A man in Utah tried to give away a small amount of money on Twitter, but people sent him a lot more than he tried to give away. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for December 21st, 2020. Andy Larson is a sports reporter that covers the Utah Jazz. He has more than 20,000 Twitter followers. This is important information for the story that follows. It all started with a phone call from his mother several days before Thanksgiving. She had found a SpongeBob bank of his that was full of spare change from his childhood. He took the coins to his credit union to cash them in, and the total surprised him. It was $165.84. Hmm. As he was driving home, he had an inspiration. He didn't need the money. He decided to offer the money on Twitter to folks who could use it. He thought it would be gone in half an hour and he'd be done with it. But he didn't count on the charity of his 20,000 Twitter followers. He got a lot of requests for the spare change, but he got even more offers from people that wanted to add money to his total. A day later, he had over $55,000 donated by over 900 people. On December 13th, he was able to send money to 64 families that needed help for the holidays, 15 families behind on rent, 26 people that needed money for car repairs or utilities, 9 families in need of groceries, and dozens of families with medical debt. He also donated money to several local charities that addressed food shortages in the community. One recipient said, It restored my faith in people after a long and rough year. Larson had this to say about his accidental fundraiser. It was a long process to decide who would get what, but it was important to me to verify every story and help as many people as possible. And to think it all started with a yellow SpongeBob bank full of spare change. Yeah, it makes you want to go through the attic, huh? Mm -hmm. Monkeys in a zoo in Finland preferred traffic sounds to nature sounds as a background even for falling asleep. This pod nugget is from Sky News for November 7th, 2020. We guess there was some point to the research conducted with monkeys at a zoo in Helsinki. <laughs> they were given a choice of traffic sounds, nature sounds, meditation music, or dance music in their enclosure. The traffic sounds were clearly the most popular choice. They groomed themselves and even slept when the traffic sounds played. This didn't happen with any of the other choices. So the researchers had to draw some conclusions to justify their research grants. They suggested that the traffic sounds mimic some of the ways in which the animals naturally communicated. Hmm. We suggest that the monkeys were actually performing an experiment on the researchers. <laughs> the monkeys liked to see the researchers get excited when they made unpredictable choices. We'll know for sure if the monkeys present a paper at some later date. <laughs> Have you ever wondered how many Earth-like planets are out there in our galaxy? Well, scientists have made an educated guess, and it's a lot. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for November 5th, 2020. The Kepler spacecraft, which was launched in 2009, had a mission to monitor 150,000 stars in just a piece of the Milky Way. It looked for tiny dips in starlight caused by a planet crossing in front of its home star. 
They also added data from the European Gaia satellite, which has measured the position and brightness of one billion stars. After crunching the data for two years, they have what they believe is the definitive answer. For now. Their goal was to project the number of stars in the galaxy that have an Earth-like object orbiting them in a habitable zone where it's warm enough for the surface to retain water. Don't ask me how they figured all that out. How'd they figure that all out, Paul? Uh, Don't ask me. Okay. According to NASA, our galaxy has at least 100 billion stars, of which 4 billion are similar to our sun. If only 7% of these stars have habitable planets which is a conservative estimate, there could be as many as 300 million potentially habitable planets in just our galaxy. Before you get too excited, there is currently no way to measure whether life actually exists on these planets, and the closest candidate is 20 light years away. Hmm. So until science fact catches up with science fiction, we won't be able to travel there in one generation. For now, it's fun to think about all those millions of planets percolating life. And let's just hope that any planets out there that have civilizations are doing a better job of conserving their planet than we are. Yes, hear, hear. This past year has given rise to several descriptive terms unique to the pandemic. Here are a few of the more memorable ones. This pod nugget is from Time Magazine for December 21st through 28th, 2020. First, super spreader, a person or event responsible for transmitting an infectious disease to a large number of people. Covidiot, a pejorative term for someone who ignores health and safety guidelines intended to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Covidiots are often seen as super spreaders. Bubble, a group of individuals who follow the same rules of behavior and can thus spend time together. Notably, the isolation zone created at Disney World to protect basketball players and restore income to owners. <laughs> Quarantini, the day or nighttime cocktail many have used to unwind during COVID-19 lockdowns. Sometimes quarantinis are disguised as water bottles during video calls. Doom scroll, to addictively scroll through the bad news shared on social media, often undertaken at bedtime and before tossing and turning all night. And finally, Blur's Day, the fuzzy merging of time since the pandemic, making it difficult to determine what day it is. Blur's Day is often coupled with a quarantini or two. What day is it, Paul? I don't know. They all merge together. Hmm. As we were experiencing the ups and downs of the pandemic last year, there was one voice that consistently offered calm, objective, scientific facts. Dr. Anthony Fauci. This pod nugget is from Time Magazine for December 21st through 28th, 2020. Dr. Fauci has been the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases for 36 years. During that time, he has guided this country's medical response to HIV, H1N1, SARS, MERS, Ebola, and Zika. During the current pandemic, he has been almost a daily feature on television, becoming a celebrity at the age of 79. In his pronounced Brooklyn accent, he's been the essence of fair, firm, friendly, and factual. He's found a gentle way to disagree with a president who often offered alternative facts. While he is a symbol of scientific integrity for many, He has also been a target of criticism and threats from those who blame him for school closures, job loss, and even the deaths of loved ones. 
He has also continued to oversee the basic research that has led to the two current COVID-19 vaccines. And his work isn't done as he turns 80. President Biden has asked him to stay on as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. For his willingness to serve our country into his eighth decade, we applaud Dr. Fauci for howling at the moon. From the pages of Seniorly.com, why aging is awesome. Did you know that seniors hold the most voting power in the United States? Those over 60 cast more votes than any other age group in the U.S., The good news is you have no one to blame if you don't vote. The bad news is you have no one to blame if you do vote. Herb Kupchik is a man of medicine. Over his long life, he has been involved in training doctors in microbiology, pathology, and laboratory medicine. He was a principal researcher in cancer for 20 years. After retirement, Herb wondered what he would do next. He found the answer the first time he watched a curling match. Well, you know, looking over your bio, Herb, it's interesting. Uh, One small paragraph deals with all your academic achievements, and the rest of the page is curling. (laughs) (laughs) So the the assumption there is if you had discovered curling earlier, you would not have had an academic paragraph. That's probably true. (laughs) Well, I think we should probably just get a sense of how you did get started, and you, do, you did have a very illustrious career in medicine. You've written a lot of books. You've done a lot of teaching. Uh, obviously, you were uh, very influential for quite a long time, especially in the study of cancer. Would you like to talk about that a bit? Well, thinking back on earliest days, I've always been interested in science and medicine and uh, respect the doctors and have uh, them and held them in great esteem and always felt that I would like to do something in the scientific field or medicine. And it's just a great field because you can do things with your hands, with your mind, uh, and help people at the same time. I enjoyed it for quite a while. Uh, you know, I was working at Harvard Medical School, associated with Harvard Medical School, with uh, Boston University Medical School. Uh, you can't beat that. And my biochemistry training took me to a brilliant mind at the Cancer Research Institute in Boston, uh, Dr. Gene Knox. And I worked with him and he was studying enzymes in cancer and then was uh, talked into going over to Boston University for the gastrointestinal research lab there where we were studying uh, cancer of the colon and uh, gastrointestinal cancer, I should say and became involved with uh, Dr. Phil Gold from Montreal, who was developing carcinoembryonic antigen tests, which I don't know if you realize, but you've probably been tested for CEA, carcinoembryonic antigen, uh, to uh, some point in your life to to see if you had uh, indications of colon cancer. So I, I actually ran the first laboratory that I know of in the United States on CEA and was helping Phil evaluate the uh, program at that point. And and it was great for a long while. But then the dean came to me and said uh, they needed somebody to run the medical microbiology lab at the medical school. I was already teaching the graduate uh, students and the dental students in microbiology. So it was a guaranteed position. I didn't have to fight for grants anymore. I enjoyed uh, 
working with the kids for many years. It was very rewarding in itself. Well, tell us about that transition to teaching. Did it involve different brain cells, or was this something that was a <laughs> comfortable transition for you? I don't know. I, how does one evaluate which brain cells you're using? <laughs> uh, no, it was just a whole different way of uh, doing things, I guess. It, uh, no, it just took me out of the lab, which I did miss initially, but... Uh, once you get into running courses and teaching, there's a lot of work involved. Well, I imagine all of that took time. Herb, how did you find time to write? Oh, I didn't write a lot of books. I wrote papers. Uh, I, I edited a book. I did write a book. But uh, you find time to do it. Was there a great deal of pressure to publish as part of your teaching credentialing? Uh, for the research aspect, there's always uh, pressure to publish. Yes, absolutely. Uh, otherwise, you don't get funding. So enough about your shallow life as a researcher and teacher. <laughs> Let's get to the meat here. Tell us about how you got involved with curling. Uh, well, uh, around, uh, I think it was 1989, my life changed. Uh, a graduate student uh, and her husband were curlers, and there was a local curling club that was having an open house. So I dragged my wife. She insisted I come to this open house. We tried it out. My wife was not comfortable on the ice. Uh, so we said, okay, that's fine. It's not for you. But I fell in love with the sport. It was just something something I could do. Curling, I found I could actually do. I could, you know, I wasn't great, but I could do it. I could make shots. I could look at shots and decide what to do and what not to do. Um, and I started curling, uh, I think I was going three to five nights a week. Uh, my wife soon became a curling widow. Uh, <laughs> she was very supportive. Uh, uh, the biggest thing about curling is uh, the social aspect. There's four of you on a team. You're playing another four. Uh, you come off the ice, and the tradition is that the winning team has to buy the losers the first round. Of course, the second round goes the other way. It, it was just, uh, that was my life at the time. Herb, it still is. Herb, for yes. the benefit of that, the few of our listeners who might not know what curling is, uh, can you attempt to describe it for them? <laughs> okay, uh, and they'll laugh. Um, curling is a game uh, on ice. You don't use skates. You're in basically sneakers or some kind of shoe with some traction on the ice. The ice is not flat. The ice is what we call pebbled. It's a very bumpy surface uh, where we put little droplets of water on the ice. And um, you use a stone that's uh, about 40 pounds of granite with a handle on it. And you don't lift the stone, but you slide the stone. The conventional way of delivering a stone is you start in what looks like a starter's block or a hack, and you push off with one foot, and you slide on the ice going forward, and you deliver the stone. You release the stone with one hand, and as you're releasing the stone, you turn that handle that you're holding that's on, sitting on top of this chunk of granite, and by turning that handle, it makes the stone rotate either uh, counterclockwise or clockwise. And as it goes down the ice, the stone rides on tops of these bumps and it starts turning either clockwise or 
counterclockwise, depending on which way you, turn, you uh, started the handle, and you try to go down to a target area. It looks like a bullseye. And the object of the game is to get your stones closer to the center than the other team's stones. You've missed one of the more subtle aspects of curling. That's the sweepers. Sweeping, yes. (laughs) Um, There's one person who delivers a stone. There's one person who's down the far end uh, sitting in the target or the house um, who's giving direction. They say, I want the stone to come here. Uh, I want you to turn it clockwise or counterclockwise uh, and deliver it here. Uh, Meanwhile, there's two other people on the team, and they – go side uh, alongside the stone as the stone is riding down the ice after one releases it. Uh, and they can sweep. They have brooms that are designed to sweep on the ice, and they can either sweep or not sweep as they are either directed or they choose to do so. So you sweeping can make it go straighter, mm. or it can make it go further. You can see why it's alcohol-related. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, most clubs don't allow uh, alcohol out on the ice. It's after you come off. You I, get, oh, yeah. I understand. I understand. With Like most sports. I realized early on I wasn't going to get anywhere as a curler in terms of uh, international recognition or national recognition. But then I learned that there was such a thing as uh, umpiring. I learned how to... Being an umpire, I learned all the rules, uh, went through all the, the training sessions, became an umpire, and found that was really a, a rewarding kind of thing to do in curling. I could still curl my club, uh, but now I got to go to different events where really good curlers were playing, and I could, uh, you know, with experience and with time and once i was retired i was able to go to different events across the country and around the world as a an umpire and achieved one of my bucket list items and that was to uh, go to the uh, the olympics i was in the olympics i can say that <laughs> i was an umpire for for the world curling federation so I represented the United States as an umpire at the Olympics. How exciting. Fantastic. Yeah. Sochi. I just wish I could get more people into it. Uh, I have a question here. Artificial intelligence is a big topic now, and I happen to have witnessed a robotic curler that is supposed to be extremely good. Have you seen anything about that? <laughs> is it going to replace humans? Uh well, no. Uh, it can't buy you a drink, can it? <laughs> oil. You need oil. <laughs> <laughs> well, Herb, looking back, let's look at the totality of your life so far. You've had so many diverse experiences, influenced people in so many different ways. Looking back on your life, how can you kind of sum it up and say what you value most about the experiences you've had? I've always told my kids, you know, uh, you want to get on in life, go with the flow. Whatever confronts you, you deal with it. You either enjoy it or you suffer through it and get through it and finish it up because something else is going to come around the corner. So, you know, I, that's what I've tried to do each at each occasion. I, yeah, I've switched from research of one kind to another kind to another kind. My kids used to ask me, Mommy, what kind of doctor is daddy today? You know, I mean, because 
if you get a chance to experience something in life like I did with curling and it becomes part of your life, enjoy it. So it's been a very tough year. I haven't been able to enjoy uh, what fills my life these days uh, the most, uh, other than my grandchildren, of course. Mm. But uh, I don't know. I can't answer that question. Oh, I think you did very, yeah. very nicely, too. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.